This podcast is brought to you by Two More Reps Coffee Beans. Get your two more reps with this natural pre-workout. Buy your bag at twomoreps.com.au. Welcome to another edition of the Paul's Body Engineering Podcast. Today, I've got a very special guest. Lawrence Grieve is a current practicing physio down in Brisbane, and he's also an experienced competitive bodybuilder. And I thought it'd be a great opportunity to have a chat to Lawrence and talk about both aspects. So physio and bodybuilding and the correlation between two, the advantages, but also general chat about physio, uh, rehabilitation work, and all the things that can go into what a physio does. Because a lot of people generally have a preconceived idea of what a physio actually is and does. But also Lawrence's bodybuilding career and um, and the fact that you know he's still so young but um, loves his bodybuilding, loves his video, very passionate about both, and you'll find that that is the case in this chat. So stay tuned into this one, and I hope you enjoy it. We might yeah. even be recording already, I think. Oh, yeah, too. Yeah. Oh. All right. I'll just edit it then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Easy. Easy. I can do that. All right. Well, welcome, Lawrence. Thank you very much for giving up your time. I really appreciate it. How are you going today? Mate, I'm tremendous. Thank you so much for having me on today. It's always a, a pleasure to be on the other side of the mic and be the guest for a couple. So thank That's you very true. much for having on, man. I appreciate it. And my day's been good. I've just finished up training legs and it's actually quite a quiet day today. Not a whole lot to get done. So... I'll try to put the feet up a little bit and, and relax, which would be nice. That would be nice. Midweek relaxation. I like it. That's excellent. So um, do you want to just give us a bit of a, a quick background? Um, obviously, you're a physio and also a uh, competitive bodybuilder. We know that. So uh, go into the physio side of things. How long have you been a physio? Uh, do you specialize in any particular areas? Where do you work? All that sort of jazz. And then we'll, we'll touch base on the, the bodybuilding side as well. Yeah, mate. So I suppose in the grand scheme of things, I'm still a bit of a baby physio. I've been working in private practice since graduating for a little bit over a year now. So still a lot to learn. And, and I suppose a part of the chat today is is definitely me not pretending like I have all the answers because I don't think any of us quite do when it comes to things in healthcare. But yeah, I've been working at a private practice in Wellington Point, which is in the sort of East Brisbane Bayside region, I guess you could say. Okay. And I've been there for just over a year. So we primarily see musculoskeletal conditions. So whether they be sporting injuries or, you know, long-term injuries in potentially older people, post-op rehab, stuff like that. So I guess the typical stuff that you think of when you think about going to a physio, yep. like obviously within physiotherapy, there's work that you can do in the hospitals. There's, you know, work that you can do like, you know, neurophysio, we're working with people who've had strokes or who have other neurological conditions, things like that. Yep. But I always knew that my heart and my passion was in the musculoskeletal side. So for me, it was a, a bit of a no brainer as to where I wanted to go after finishing up uni. Unreal. Fantastic. And obviously, you know, 12 months in enjoying it, um, can see a long term future there and, uh, and just continue to learn. Mate, absolutely. I'm very, very fortunate in that I was someone who really know really knew what they wanted to do coming mm. out of high school. And that's good. I was just, I'm a bit of a physio nerd, you know, like I really love just absorbing the research and the content and, and learning more about it. And I think the more that I've been able to marry 
the physiotherapy side of stuff and starting to drip feed in a little bit of bodybuilding stuff, it's, it certainly keeps the, the passion there. But for as much as it's great, you know, seeing competitors and seeing people who, you know, really enjoy their gym, it is also good seeing the other stuff. Like I, I really enjoy post-op rehab. I really enjoy working with like field and court athletes. And I also enjoy seeing, you know, just the, I guess the Joe Blow and the, you know, average person, I guess you could say you know, that, that person probably doesn't exist, but, you know, people <laughs> who just want to live with a little bit of less pain, who want to be more active, who want to be able to have better quality of life. You know, those are the people that I enjoy seeing as well. And I think if you can have a bit of passion for everything, it makes every day different. And, and it certainly will hopefully mitigate against burnout and that sort of thing. Oh, absolutely. And actually, that's a really good point. Like, I'm assuming in the role that you have, you every day would be different, would it not? Like, you'd be seeing different cases, different severities, different rehabilitations. It'd, it'd be every day. There'd be no day, no two days different. Yeah, mate. And I think that's one of the beauties about, you know, like, it's all well and good to specialize. You know, you have people in the world of physio who is the low back guy or the shoulder guy, or they have a really big interest in one area. And that's great. But I do think you have to be almost weirdly obsessed with that one thing <laughs> in order to, to find a lot of meaning. Yep. Like we have a orthopedic surgeon who works with us and he consults out of our rooms and, you know, he loves what he does, but every single day he's either working on a knee or a shoulder. So you imagine <laughs> like only doing like, yes, there's variations, but it's only two body parts every single day of your life. Like, <laughs> I think the spice of life is variety. And yeah, I certainly enjoy having something different. You know, in the morning, you could be helping a 79-year-old with knee osteoarthritis and you're just working on standing up out of a chair. Yep. And then in the afternoon, you could be, you know, trying to do a return to sport clearance for an athlete coming back from an ACL where you're trying to jump as far as you can and want, land on one leg. And it's quite nice. I have a bit of telehealth in there as well. So oh, yeah. generally my competitors and people who are coming to me for more so programming considerations and, you know, stuff where I don't necessarily need to see them in person, I tend to do a fair bit of telehealth. So yep. that's a nice way to break up the day as well. Unreal. Oh, good variety, mate. Excellent. So let's talk about uh, bodybuilding because obviously there's a significant correlation between the two and obviously given your passion for both, I'm sure that works really well hand in hand. But um, when did you tap into bodybuilding and, and talk about, I guess, how, how long you've been doing it for? Um, obviously, you coached by uh, the world famous Joey Candlin. Yeah, the great man. <laughs> Give him a shout out. Um, but yeah, let, let's talk about uh, your, your bodybuilding uh, career, for lack of a better term, to, to date. Yeah, look, I was one of the probably people who get into bodybuilding at quite a young age. So when I was about 16, I'd been, you know, had a lifetime like most kids playing a lot of sport. I played football and cricket mainly. And mm -hmm. then when I hit about 13, that's where I sort of just went over to cricket. That was always the sport that I had the most passion in and that I was probably slightly better in. Not that I was setting the world on fire in either. <laughs> I think I was one of those kids who was always like, decently good at a lot but yep. never elite at anything you yep. know like i might make like the lowest rep team for a few sports but i wasn't making the queensland team or the australian team for any or stuff like that and when i got to about 16 i believe it was the end yeah it would have been the end of the season coming out of grade 11 and going into grade 12 i just thought you know this is getting a bit old like you know chasing that red ball in the sun for eight hours on a saturday is just <laughs> not quite hitting the same and you know, it, it's a sport where you really have to be obsessed with it to do well. Yeah. And I thought that I had the drive to like want to make Queensland teams and want to make the Australian team one day. That was always a dream. But I soon realized that I didn't love it enough 
to get out what I wanted to get out of it. So originally I said to myself, okay, I'm just going to have a season off. And if I want to come back, I'll come back. And in the meantime, I had started to get a little bit more into my gym, you know, convinced mum and dad to let me sign up at my local snap fitness. <laughs> and I'd always, I was sort of like, you know, I was one of those kids, you know, hit puberty when I was like 11. So for a lot of my life, I was like a bit of a bigger, stronger guy, especially okay. when, when kids are maybe only hitting puberty when they get to high school. So I had a decent starting point. And by the time I was like 16, a few of my friends, one in particular who sort of had his finger on the pulse a little bit about the bodybuilding world was like, man, you should give this a go. Like, I think you got a pretty good starting point. And I asked around my gym, I was like, do you know of anyone who like coaches this stuff? Like, I didn't know how it worked. And there was a lady there by the name of Alana and she handed me a her business card and she wrote Joey's email on that card. And I actually <laughs> still have that card with me. It's in, it's in a drawer somewhere. There you it's go. a bit of a uh, sentimental memento. But yeah, I hit Joey up when I was 16, yeah. asked him if he would be willing to take me on. And yeah, mate, the rest is history. We've been working together for a long time. And I suppose our relationship has, has grown from just a coach client to the point now where, you know, he, he really is one of my best friends. And I almost think of him as now just like, he's my really good mate that also happens to help me out with my bodybuilding rather than a, uh, a coach per se. That's very cool. Um, so as we spoke at the top, um, although I won't make this edit, you know, you're, you're about to enter your next season. Uh, what number of season is this for you? Is it be third? My fourth, actually. Fourth. Yes. Ooh. Okay. So the very good. first one was in 2017. Uh, yep. That was when I was in grade 12. And then yep. I did another one in the following year, first year of uni. Had a year off. Did one again in third year, which was 2020. Yep. Uh, which off year air we spoke about, which was obviously the the year of the pandemic, which was made mm-hmm. for a very interesting prep. <laughs> and then since then, you know, I, I sort of looked at my life and I went, okay, placement is a crazy year. If you're a physio student, you know, it's 25 weeks of unpaid work, essentially. And <laughs> it's a really stressful time. Shout out to, I don't know if you know, Rika Dawson. She is a sports model and um, women's fitness pro. She actually did her prep during her placement year, which is absolutely outrageous. So shout out to Rika. And um, I thought, I don't want to prep that year. And I don't want to prep in my first year of full-time work. Like I figure those are just good years to just have bodybuilding, keep doing its thing in the background, but not necessarily right at the forefront. Um, So yeah, it's been a bit of time off. The longest time off I've had between stage appearances Mm -hmm. and I'm just super excited to get underway. So yeah, we'll be starting prep on Friday. So Friday the 31st of March and that'll have us around 23 weeks out from show one. Oh, that's exciting. What is show one? So show one is actually the final Tropics show up north. Ah, So yeah, obviously very sad that tropics townsville is coming to an end Mm. there's a lot of good memories um for me and joey in particular up at that show we that was sort of our first away trip together so yeah it'll be nice to to start the season with a really special show like that and look i guess me and joey were even having this discussion the other day like you know we were wanting to compete the first show like september 29 and we're wanting to finish up in mid-november at wmbf world so Mm -hmm. it's just not realistic to try get all the way in for that first show. So sure. I think there is going to be a certain amount of holding back and, and not getting to that, that 100% because, you know, just thinking about it logically, you can't be at 
multiple times in a season. Like it, that's just not how it works. That's so, a long season, man. <laughs> yeah, and mate, and as you know, like you've gotten into like elite levels of conditioning. So to maintain that for like an eight or a nine week stretch is just not feasible. No. And I just I don't want to be at the stage where I'm looking worse as the year goes on. And you know that's never happened in the past. I know Joey won't let it happen, but yeah. I also think we need to be sensible and go okay. If we pull up to Townsville at 95, that's still going to look really, really good and it's still going to oh, be competitive. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's just not about being smart and, and trying to extend that over a, you know the whatever two-month period that it's going to be. 100%. Well, I'll be there in, in the crowd and, and backstage, mate. So we'll, we'll have a chat and I'll, I'll cheer you on from the, from the front for sure. It'll be good to watch. I'll look it's forward to that one too. Yeah, hopefully. Um, are you going to be going over to Worlds? Uh, no, not well. No, in okay. tropics, I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. No, it will be good. I suppose it's yeah. It's unfortunate that some of these shows, like you know, I'm assuming that probably the years where the because it was in 2020 they didn't do the tropics. So obviously, that's like no. another batch of lost revenue. So you can understand why it happens. But mm. yeah, let's hope we can you know finish off on a high. Absolutely. So let's um, let's talk about um, the the two subjects that we're obviously speaking about today, being bodybuilding and, and physio. Do you find the, the the correlation between the two gives you any sort of advantage given your significant understanding of the, the human body when you train um or even you know getting a i don't know if you program yourself if joe programs for you but either or you put it together in a way that is it coming from a more in-depth perspective rather than just surface level stuff does that make sense yeah look i definitely think that it's been a two-way street with regard to physio and bodybuilding because i've often thought about you know what, like being a physio has helped my bodybuilding in a way where I'm able to understand, you know, tissue capacity and recovery mm. capabilities and things like that. Not to say that you need to be a physio to do that because a lot yes. of good co coaches are going to do that as well. But I think the probably more significant relationship is how I think my training career and my bodybuilding starting so young has helped me become a better physio. Yeah, and right. I've spoken about this on a recent podcast of my own, but one thing that particularly our course, you know, at the University of Queensland really lacks is the ability to teach a physio how to program effectively. Mm -hmm. Because as physios, we're sort of taught, okay, this exercise does that and this exercise does this. So if you want to improve strength, do that with those rep ranges. If you want to work on, you know, pain, do that with these ranges, blah, blah, blah. But they don't really teach you how to zoom out and structure that for someone over the course of a week. And a really good example is something like ACL rehab, where yep. you've got high level athletes, they need to be doing, you know, by the end of their sort of mid to late stage rehab, they need to be doing plyometrics on one day, strength sessions, running sessions, maybe they're back to team training. So there comes a point where you need to sit down with that person with a bit of a spreadsheet or a, a Microsoft document and go, hey, Monday to Sunday, let's map this out and let's figure out what's the best place to put this, this and that, how we're going to order it, how we're going to structure it not only to tick the boxes and get done what we need to get done, but also ensure that you can recover between those sessions. And if I hadn't been involved in this world and I hadn't been taking my training seriously or programming at the level that I had been, mm. I just wouldn't have really known how to do that. And yes, you learn it along the way. And that's what colleagues are for and, and learning through professional development and things like that. But I certainly think that bodybuilding has had a stronger correlation to making me a better physio than physio has had making me better a better bodybuilder if that makes yeah, sense wow. yeah it does yeah okay interesting perspective i never thought of it the other way around to be honest yeah cool um well speaking of physio then like we, we spoke um at the top regarding all the different 
I guess, varieties within the field that you work in. So, you know, most people would consider it to be primarily around injury and rehab, but there's significantly more to it, isn't there? Do you want to elaborate on some of the the other fields within the field, if that makes sense? Mm, yeah, and I think, like, obviously, if you break it down into the different types of physio, there's a million and one, you know, there's women's health physios, there's men's health physios. So, you know, people who struggle with incontinence, women who struggle with like pelvic floor issues, like that's sort of a subspecialty. Yep. You know, that's one that, if I see that on my list, I am palming that off immediately. So we're, we're fortunate to have a good referral base for people like that. Yep. You know, there's pediatric physios who, oh, of course, yeah, they're the smartest of a lot, if we're honest, Paul, because they're able to gamify stuff, but still make rehab and treatment effective. So, of course, yeah. you know, if you're a peds physio out there, tip of the cap, you're a really bright cookie. And then, you know, there's also physios that deal with stuff like vestibular issues. So people with dizziness and, and headaches and stuff like that, you're going to have mm. sometimes specialist physios in that realm. Mm. But I suppose if we think about what I see as a lot of the different facets of a good musculoskeletal physio, it will fall down to a few different brackets. So yes, there's the rehab side. And for me, having a bit of an exercise bias which I think is probably not a bad bias to have given the literature that we know about, you know, getting people better and making people better from injuries. There's the rehab and the exercise. That's going to be one arm. For some people, there's going to be the manual therapy, which is like your massage, joint mobilizations, joint yep. manipulation, things like that, which in itself just attracts so much drama in the physio world, which is just ludicrous to me. And then I suppose the other arm is is all around like advice and education. So mm. how you explain stuff to people, because for a lot of people, like I don't actually need to touch them. I maybe don't need to give them that much in the way of exercises or rehab work, but they may just need some advice of how to better structure their training or how to better yeah. structure their running load or how many walks they go on or things like that. So okay. some people don't need a whole lot of intervention. They just need some advice around how to better manage their week. Yep. And then I suppose the fourth arm is you know, the more human side. And I think this is what really makes a good clinician because everyone can give you a really sound rehab program. Anyone can give you, you know, good manual therapy that makes you feel better. But I think the hardest part about being a physio is managing the personalities because mm. bodies, if they were just input machines would all behave the exact same way. But you know, that little clump of gray tissue in between our ears, that's what makes people difficult to deal with. So, you know, one way of explaining something to someone will not work for someone else. And you have to continually be adapting your communication styles and your general approach to that person's rehab, depending on the sort of person they are. And I think that's where it gets really interesting because the way that you explain stuff, the way that you structure rehab and the way that you progress people through is going to be very much dependent on their thoughts and their feelings towards it. And, you know, even based on like selections of treatment that you use. So, for example, if, if I have someone come in with a bit of low back pain and they go, yeah, mate, like last time this happened to me, I came into a physio, they gave me a little bit of a rub through my back and I felt heaps better. I would be an idiot to not give them a massage in that session sure. because immediately they've told me this has happened before. So, yep. and this really helped. So they've got a bias already. Mm. They've got buy-in. And even, even if I'm not a great person at doing massages, chances are just having me you know, rub through their lower back a little bit, have some pressure on the skin, they're going to feel better because they've bought into that as a treatment. So whether it's exercise or whether it's manual therapy, we know from research that one of the biggest predictors of treatment outcomes is whether or not the patient believes it's going to work. 
and how they think they're going to go in general. So people with really low expectations, people who maybe do suffer from like depression and anxiety and just think nothing's going to work. I can't be helped. Those people don't tend to do as well. People who are optimistic, people who think, yeah, this is probably going to get better, tend to do better. Isn't that interesting? That's that's the correlation between what you just described and having prep hundreds of clients for bodybuilding shows is so significant because that's exactly how a prep client can respond. You know, there can be so much psychological behavior in regards to how successful they are. It's amazing. And I never thought of it from that perspective, but you, you're right. Like, um, you know, the more buy-in they've got, the more successful the treatment is going to be, right? A hundred percent. And look, you could probably think of it as like, you know, when you're assigning someone like a, a program, you know, you might have, let's say you've got like a young female who really wants to work on their glutes and you've mm-hmm. already got them doing RDLs and squats and lunges and you know they're getting enough glute volume but they're really insistent on you know what like i want to do some of these banded hip abductions at the end to just get like a bit of a burn if you know that that's probably not going to make a massive difference but it's going to help them feel a bit better it's not going to put them in a pit of recovery you know what you're probably just going to let them have it or like people when they're training abs and they want to do a bit of a finisher you're probably just going to let them have it so you know, it's not a like the optimal program is not just based on what you as the practitioner thinks is the best thing to do. Yep. The optimal program is also considering the thoughts and feelings and the expectations of the other person. Like the most important question you normally ask someone at the end of the, the patient interview is, what are you hoping to get out of today? Yeah. What are you hoping to get out of this in the medium and the long term? Because if someone says to me like, mate, I'm in the world of pain, I really just want someone to get into my back today and ease this off. And I just spend 40 minutes lecturing him about, you know, the biopsychosocial of pain and going through exercises. He's probably not going to come back. So <laughs> I probably can't help him as much as I'd like. So, you know, you do have to alter your approach. And I think that's where clinicians who are not dogmatic mm. and clinicians who are willing to, you know, stray a little bit from what they might typically do are generally the best ones because they're able to modify their approach depending on the person that's sitting in front of them. Mm. Um, we've spoken a fair bit already about, um, you know, the, the, the treatment side of things. So rehabilitation, um, injury recovery, um, programming, stuff like that. What's your take on, um, maintenance in terms of what we do and, and what most of the general population do when they turn to turn to the gym in, in regards to resistance-based training, we're putting a lot of stress on the body. How do you maintain the body from a physio perspective to ensure that there's longevity, particularly when we're obviously creating hypertrophy and progressive overload? So more stress, more tension over time to try and mitigate the risk of injury. What sort of physio tips, tricks, whatever, would you sort of recommend in that field so that people can obviously recover better and then not get put off by being sore or being injured to go back and train and just repeat that cycle? Mm, And it's a really common question. And I think that, it's a very similar, like the way I answer this question is very similar to how, you know, someone might answer a question about like, you know, what's the best way to train? What's the best way to eat? Like it all is like that pyramid, isn't it? Yep. There's the base of the pyramid with the big ticket items that we need to be focusing on. And then as we move our way up to the pyramid, those things probably become less important. So for me, the things that are at the base of the pyramid, the non-negotiables are going to be getting enough sleep, because, you know, if there was a magic pill or a superpower, you know, if I could give myself like a superpower to fall asleep every night, sleep for an unbroken eight hours and wake up, man, I think my life would be changed. It would be <laughs> unbelievable. Like I fantasize about that. So <laughs> sleep is the first one. 
adequate nutrition, you know, basic stuff, like just making sure you're actually fueling yourself to recover properly. Mm -hmm. And obviously with certain people, like I'm not going to be intervening with that. Like I'm not as a physio going to be like, here's your macros because you're not eating enough. But for example, you take someone, you know, who might be suffering from that like red S situation. So a classic example is like teenage girls who are maybe gymnasts or dancers who are doing like a lot of extension based work part of their sport is also dependent on how they look and there's mm-hmm. still a culture of smaller is better. So maybe they're leaving things off their plate. Maybe they're trying to skip meals, you know, people like that nutrition is going to be so important because part of the reason why they can be predisposed to issues like a, a stress reaction or a spondylolysis in the lower back is because they're not eating enough. Perhaps they're not consuming enough calcium, things like that. So cool. sleep, nutrition. And then for me, the last thing at the base of the pyramid is just programming overall because i think sometimes you see this from like physios or coaches or what have you or or even the athletes themselves where it's like yeah you know what my lower back's hurting and i think it's just because i struggled to keep my spine in you know perfectly neutral position but then they're like deadlifting three days a week rdling on top of that squatting on top of that and it's like you're just doing too much like your programming is just not sound so i think that it's about looking at the big rocks first and if those three are not in place, like, I'm sorry, but no Normatec boot or massage gun or cupping <laughs> or needling is going to fix your issue because like, it's sort of like telling someone, oh, like take this fat burner, but you can still just eat as much as you want and eat in a surplus and not gain fat. <laughs> like it just, it just doesn't make sense. You need to have the big rocks in place. Yep. One of my favorites analogies with stuff like this is like, you imagine a jar and you want to fill that jar up put the big rocks in first, you know, the big stones, they're going to take up the most space. And that's like your basics. Then you can maybe start to put in some little pebbles, you know, that could be stretching, that could be mobility before a session, getting sports massages, things like that. Then you start to get like the grains of sand. And that's where we're thinking about, you know, your normal tech boots and your fancy foam rollers, maybe getting some needling and some cupping and some, you know, grass and things like that. So if the big rocks are not there, you're going to need a lot of sand and a lot of pebbles to fill up that jar. So mm, absolutely, get the low-hanging fruit out of the way and chances are you're going to cover a lot of the issues you've been having. I like that. That's excellent. That kind of rolls into the next question I was going to ask, which is about foam rolling and stretching and stuff and the benefits of. But like you said, you've got to get the fundamentals right first and then the rest will fall into place, particularly if you do it already. But would it be a recommendation if you aren't doing those things and your nutrition and, and your uh, sleep and everything is relatively sound that by introducing them, it, it, it's obviously going to be beneficial? Uh, it's tough to say yes in like a really definitive way because yep. the research that we have on foam rolling and stretching is, is pretty like average. Like it sort of shows, oh, okay, there's like a no benefit, like no no negative benefit, but not yep. really a positive benefit in most circumstances. So my stance on foam rolling and stretching is do it if you enjoy it. And if you find it has a benefit, because I think some clinicians, they look at the research and go, oh, well, stretching doesn't do anything. Foam rolling doesn't do anything. Let's not bother. But you're sort of negating all the other parts of like, oh, this is a nice pre-gym routine. This makes my muscles a bit less sore. This Mm. gets me in the mindset to lift or it helps me relax after a session or something like that. So I think to say don't bother with it completely is a little bit you know, nearsighted or you're not quite seeing the whole picture. Yes. So I would say like, for example, before every session, I'll foam roll my ITB and my quads because it makes me feel good. That is the only reason. 
stretching, I'll stretch my hamstrings and my adductors because it just feels a little bit looser. You know, it's yeah. that perception of tightness that it relieves and it makes me feel nice and I'm ready, you know, I subjectively feel a little bit more prepared for the session. Um, Tierra Nelson, for example, loves her stretching, loves her yoga. Yep. Is it doing anything in terms of lengthening muscles? Very hard to say for sure. But if you enjoy it, then like, yeah, do it. And if you find like it does improve your recovery, if you feel a little bit more stiff on a little bit more sore on the days where you don't do it, then for you, it's probably not a bad idea. But I think the only slight issue I have with some of these coaches that are like really big on their stretching mm. and who they maybe oversell the benefits. And often those are coaches who view pain and injury in a very biomechanical or biomedical model. So we talk about like the biomedical model of pain, which we had, you know, sort of 50 years ago in healthcare, where it's like, all right, well, if someone's in pain or they get an injury, it's because something is broken, something's weak, something's tight. Whereas now we adopt what's called the biopsychosocial model of pain, where we know that pain, yes, there's tissue factors at play, inflammation, damage to tissues, whatever, but there's also the psychological and the social aspects, which in, which do contribute to people's overall pain experience. So when people take this overly biomedical approach to injuries, then it does also, you know, you end up communicating that to your patient or your client. Mm-hmm. Whereas if that person feels hamstrung that they need to stretch for 20 minutes every single day, otherwise their black, their back is going to, you know, go on them during a session that's also not a really good place to be because then that person feels really tied to needing to do that. And I think explaining it in a way where, you know, you don't have to do this every day, but if you enjoy it, it makes you feel good for a session. There's going to be no, no negative. Um, I suppose the only negative is maybe, you know, those prolonged static stretches prior to lifting, you know, there's a decent amount of research to show that that can reduce your strength. But so maybe if you do want to do some long periods of stretching, do it on a rest day or do it after the gym or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Um, the, you know, the foam rolling stretching, et cetera, do it. If it feels good, do it. It's kind of like cardio in a way, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Spoken by a true bodybuilder. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so in regards to obviously the, you know, the, the stretching, the foam rolling, you know, and then obviously you, you mentioned your pyramid and the, 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 the big rocks, as you said at the bottom, you know, in regards to, um, not having all those things in place. Obviously, the height, the risk of injury can be heightened. Yeah. So if we're going to the gym on a regular basis, but our sleep is poor, um, nutrition is not what it should be. Um, you know, the, the chances, and and you may be, I don't know, a beginner level lifter, the chances of injury are quite high or could be quite high. So are there any other means to avoid injury besides what you've mentioned, or pretty much what you've mentioned is the ducks nuts when it comes to preparation? Yeah, to be fair, mate, there's nothing else I'd really recommend. Um, the only other thing I would say is like the, the world of, you know, predicting injuries, you know, injury prevalence, even injury prevention is a really murky one. And that mm. harkens back to the fact that injuries and pain are so complex. Yes. So even recently, there's been a podcast I listened to where they're even talking about, you know, should we use the word injury prevention? Is that an intellectually honest thing to say where we know we can't actually prevent an injury. Yeah, you know, maybe the only way to prevent an injury, you know, if you say to like an ACL person is like, all right, like just never like run or jump again. Like maybe that could do it. <laughs> Obviously that's not what those people want to do. So no. maybe a word like injury reduction, injury mitigation, things yeah. like that. Because wow. truly like, and I explain this to people sometimes is like, 
think about people in the NBA, people in the English Premier League. These are the highest level athletes in the world. Mm. They're in, they are getting paid millions of euros and dollars a week to stay fit, to be strong, to be fast, and to stay healthy. Yeah. And they still get injured. They've yeah, they got do. a team of people ensuring that they recover and perform to the best of their ability and they still get injured. So it's like, these things are going to happen. And a lot of the time, we just get unlucky. Like you can do everything right. Even you can have all the big rocks in place and mm. you can get unlucky. Like I can't tell you how many times, you know, you ask someone, okay, what brought on this injury? How did it happen? And, you know, everything sounds like it was a pretty normal week, but maybe after you've kept talking to them a little bit, they might make a comment about, you know, they're moving house at the moment. Things are super stressed. Yeah, the kids yeah. are going crazy. Things are yep. quite tense at home. You know, maybe there's some some stuff going on with their, their better half or, you know, their loved one. And it's, you know, all those things play really important as well. Like there's a really interesting study on collegiate American football players. I believe it's mm-hmm. by Man et al., where they broke their year down into different phases. So they categorized one as like, high physical load, then low physical load, which was more like their off season when football is not being played. Okay. And then high academic load or high academic stress, I think is the word that they used. And of all of those phases, they found that the high academic stress portion was the portion of the year that saw the most injuries or the highest prevalence of injuries. So it just reaffirms the fact that it is not just physical loading that is going to affect how we get injured. So, you know, perhaps the last big rock, if we wanted to try shove another one in on the base of the pyramid would be managing stress and just trying to not be a really stressed person um, because stress has a really profound effect on pain. And we know that we see it time and time again. So I think maybe if we sneak another rock in there, yeah. So sleep, nutrition, overall yeah. programming, and then stress, you know, having those four there, you're probably going to, at least be doing 98% of what you need to do to stay healthy and injury-free. Absolutely. Good point. Very good point. Um, okay. So then what about, <laughs> you might have already answered this question, but I'm going to, I'm going to play uh, naivety here. Uh, longevity in terms of strength training. So being able to turn up to the gym four or five times a week, well into your later years, you know, is there any, um, I guess, advice or anything you could give because, you know, you do see, you know, they, they say obviously strength training is significantly important for the elderly, right? But obviously it starts now. Build up the building blocks and then when you get to the older years, you, you're still strong. You've got your bone density, joint strength is really good, muscle, muscle density and everything is still there. So would that be the primary uh, factor here to maintain that longevity of strength training or are there other things that I'm not thinking of that would come from a, a physio's perspective? Yeah, 100%, mate. And I think that, you know, keeping people active is the name of the game. Like I always tell people that I spend a lot more of my time as a physio, if I'm seeing someone who's like, you know, in that 50 to 70 bracket, spend a lot more time asking those people and telling them they need to exercise more rather than telling them they need to exercise less. Wow. So like, you know, if you are listening to this podcast, you probably enjoy going to the gym. You know, that 80 year old that you see every Tuesday morning, you know, just doing a little bit of movement, they're probably not going to get into my office too often because Mm. they're moving. And that is often the goal for these people. And you're completely right. Like as we age, you know, we're going to have sarcopenia, which is that, you know, age related loss of skeletal muscle mass. We're going to get things like osteoporosis and and OA and things like that. And, you know, exercise is the frontline treatment for all of those conditions. And whether it's someone walking a few times a week and doing 
you know, some sit to stands off their dining room chair or whether they're still in the gym, mm. happy days. You know, like I've got some 70 year olds who, you know, just do a few exercises in their lounge room. I've got some that are getting ready for half marathons. You know, there's going to be a, a really broad spectrum in between there. But I think if we zoom out and think, all right, how can we be in the gym for the longest period possible? Once again, it's really hard to look to the evidence for something like this because we just don't have research like looking at people for a very long period of time yeah. who are weight training. But you've got to remember, like, you know, even if we look anecdotally at someone like Jeff Alberts from 3DMJ, you know, the godfather, he has been bodybuilding for like 30 years. And one thing about Jeff Alberts is that his form is pristine. You know, he doesn't lift with a lot of body English. He doesn't have a lot of momentum at the bottom of his eccentrics. He's a really pretty lifter of weights. And form is not everything. And technique is not everything when it comes to being pain-free or mitigating against injuries. But I do certainly think there is something to be said for, you know, reducing those um, really ballistic and fast and uncontrolled movements. So for the most part, if you're someone who does have relatively good technique, I think that is a, so it's surely not doing any harm yeah. to your risk of injury and things like that. So, you know, I, I try not to harp on too much about specifics around form, you know, it doesn't matter if your back bends a bit when you deadlift. It doesn't matter if your knees cave in a bit when you squat. That's not the end of the world. But in general, it is always a good thing to approach your lifting with a goal to execute things properly and safely and in a way that feels good for you mm. rather than just like slinging and clanging weights and, and having <laughs> no concern with how you move. Like, you know, there can be extremes at both ends, but I'd probably rather someone err on the side of, you know, being really technique focused rather than just saying, oh, Technique doesn't matter at all. Would uh, would you agree in saying that, like you know, strength training in particular, with the amount of variety that's available, it's it's a it's always a learning experience anyway. So, I guess going back to that point about uh, longevity and strength training, you know, you could you could spend fifty years in the gym and still be learning, which stimulates the brain as well. You know, and you're always trying to improve and get better. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And I think that. You know, you see, especially in like the low back pain research, you know, mm. the the more sedentary people are the ones that are at high risk of, of having pain. You know, the people who are moving more are less likely to, to present to physios and doctors and things like that. And I think it's, you know, it's all well and good to have exercise to keep our muscles and bones and joints strong. But you also got to remember like all the other additional benefits of exercise, you know, for our metabolic health, for our mental health, like it really is like it it's not magic but it's funny when i get people in and they're like you know the exercise really work and i'm like <laughs> hey like I've, I've been telling you this so like even recently i had a lady who i was working with for a couple months for some hip pain and you know it started getting to do some exercises they were helping with her pain then all of a sudden she's going for longer walks cuz she's able to walk a bit more and you know like a couple months later she's you know 10 kilos down and, and feeling go. healthier and moving around better and keeping up better. So it's like, it is really good to get people's pain back on track and get them back to doing what they want to do. But when you can send someone away who has overall improved their quality of life, mm. that's just even better. Cause you know, you're, you're sending this person away as like a healthier human, not just a human who doesn't have hip pain anymore, which, yep. you know, as far as like healthcare practitioners, that should be the goal. You know, we want to influence the whole, whole being of the person, not just a, a really specific part of what's going on yeah absolutely it's it should be um i guess exercise in general should be like almost prescribed by gp as soon as you know because that's a the go-to for anyone with some sort of pain they'll generally go to a gp first right and then that gp should just say right go and exercise obviously depending on the, the subject matter at hand but 
it can certainly solve a lot of lifestyle problems and a lot of, um, uh, I guess, um, concerns around, like you mentioned, mental health and all these other things as well. Um, just the, the advantages of, of feeling good after exercise and then obviously strengthening everything as well. Mm. All right. Um, I think we've pretty much wrapped up here, Lawrence. We've covered everything. You're very succinct with your answers too, I must admit. You, 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 obviously, coming from a well-educated background, mate, you, uh, you speak a hell of a lot better than I do. But um, why don't you give your um, business a plug? And I completely forgot, but also give your two podcasts a plug because not only do you have your own one, you've also um, joined podcasts with, uh, as the um, Bodybuilding Down Under podcast. So how do we find you if you, if you we're located in um, in Brisbane wanting to get a, hand, a hands on a good physio? Yeah, so thank you very much for having me on today as well, mate. I really appreciate the, the questions, really thoughtful questions, and you know I talk about this stuff all day, so I really do. Love it. <laughs> I can tell. <laughs> yeah, so if you do want to inquire about my physiotherapy services, there is sort of links in my bio on Instagram and stuff, but my, the email that I use is Lawrence at everybody'sphysio.com.au. Okay. which hopefully you can smack in the links so people don't have to struggle spelling it. But, okay. um, you know, that's if you want to come in like to the clinic in person. We're in Wellington Point, which is in East Brisbane. It is a little bit of a trek from like some of the North Siders and things like that. Um, but I do offer telehealth as well. So, you know, I've seen people from Adelaide, from New South Wales, Victoria, all over the place. Um, so that's a nice way to be able to, you know, not need the actually have you in person, but still be able to provide really good care. And a lot of the uh, research on telehealth for certain conditions is, is really good and that it doesn't necessarily outperform um, or underperform compared to having someone in person. Mm. Some people don't like it and that's fine. Um, but in that instance, you know, normally they're not too far from a physio that I could recommend in person. So even if you're just, you know, in a certain area and you're looking for some guidance, always happy to, to hit me up. And I also have started doing a little bit of online coaching recently. So if you want to just, you know, try get jacked then, and you're not really in too much pain, you can also hit me up for that. And you can just <laughs> um, hit up the DMs for that. And um, I'll be able to, to point you in the, in the direction to get all that started. Excellent. And yes, as you mentioned, we've got two podcasts. So I've got my personal podcast, which is called the General Muscle Podcast, which releases a new episode every Monday. We cover a lot of topics like we've discussed today, you know, sort of that hybrid between bodybuilding and physiotherapy. Um, so if you're interested in that stuff, please head over. And then if you want a little bit more of a laid back chat, then you can <laughs> join me and the boys on Bodybuilding Down Under. So that's a podcast I do with myself, Jack Radford-Smith from the Bodybuilding Dietitians, um, Daniel Chappelle and Daniel Yates. So we got on there once a week. They come out every Wednesday and it's a bit more of an informal chat. We sometimes veer off into non-bodybuilding relating stuff, but it's a lot I've of heard. fun. <laughs> yeah. I've listened to a few. Geez, they crack me up. <laughs> no, they're a good time, mate. It's nice to have those more laid back ones every now and again. Like I think people probably have a, a bit of a mix because I know I do. Like there's some days where I'm just not feeling like listening to, you know, Menno Henselman's go on about, Oh, research yeah. around training or nutrition you're like i just need to put on something that's a bit lighter and you know yeah. maybe a little bit of comedy to it so hopefully we can fill that void um in your podcasting experience <laughs> i think you do i think you do a very good job it is very entertaining that's for sure all right well um thank you very much lawrence i do appreciate your time and um obviously i'll uh this will drop on monday so i'll uh, i'll make sure that your contact information is in the notes and, um, and then people can obviously view it from there. But um, best of luck with your upcoming prep. I'll be watching closely, obviously. And um, I'll probably see you in Townsville if I don't see. But oh, you'll, you'll be popping around to the shows um, in the next couple of weeks, yeah? 
Yeah, yeah. I'll probably, I don't know if I'll be able to make it up to the sunny coast, but I'll definitely try to get down to Sleeman and I'll I'll have my head around and I'll only be a couple of weeks in by that stage. So it should be still quite vibrant and and talkative, (laughs) which is nice. But no, you'll see me around, mate. And, you know, if I I just miss you, then Townsville it'll be. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thanks again, mate. I really appreciate it. Appreciate your time, Paul. Thanks for having me on. No problem. Okay, I'd like to thank Lawrence for his time today. Great, great insight into the world of physio, and obviously the correlation between physio and bodybuilding is very close, um, and he gave some great uh, content, value, information. So please, um, if you're interested in obviously reaching out to Lawrence for any of his services, obviously the contact information will be in the show notes, but you, you heard it on the uh, the podcast as well. And follow along to his um, his podcast, the General Muscle Podcast, and also the one he does with the other guys as well. Um, the uh, Bodybuilding Down Under podcast. There's some really good information in there. A bit of, bit of laughs and banter, but um, all in all done for the right reasons. And I really enjoy tuning in. So if you've enjoyed this particular podcast, please jump on and share it on your stories. Tag myself at Paul's Body Engineering. Obviously tag Lawrence as well, General Muscle. And um, yeah, if you're interested in any of my coaching services, obviously head over to my website, paulsbodyengineering.com. And uh, have a look around there. And if there's anything you'd like, please uh, reach out and ask any more questions you may need answered. Other than that, thank you once again for tuning in. And as I say to every client every single day, have a great day.